Well, hello to all our regular listeners. And uh, I am very excited to say that for the very first time ever, we have filmed GodPod. So those of you who have always wondered what GodPod looks like, or even what we look like, you now get a chance to see. And uh, the video is available by clicking the link in the description or by visiting our own website, sptc.htv.org. We recorded it earlier this year and uh, we are releasing it as this month's GodPod. Uh, next month, our audio podcast, The Usual Story, will return with the home team. And we thank you very much for listening to this and we hope you enjoy this special video GodPod. Welcome to Godpod. Well, it seems slightly funny saying it to you because you're there anyway. We're already here, yes. Exactly. We, we normally here. say it to a, to a kind of microphone. But um, I but noticed they've given us a much better looking couple of sofas than they normally do. <laughs> and I yeah. noticed that yours, you have one all to yourself. I know, yeah, we have to share one. Yes, I, I'm going to buy a better deodorant next time. <laughs> exactly, that's right, yeah, yeah. And we have, for Godpod what, listeners, we actually have the biscuits. They are here, the famous biscuits. The proof. But uh, th this is special because actually I, I, when I found them, I realised they were all chocolate. And we are recording this in Lent and I'm off chocolate for Lent, which is a bit of a disaster. So they've given me custard creams instead. Uh, that's awfully good of them. I haven't given up chocolate for Lent. Go on then, Mike. So I'll, I'll have one just to, you know. And you will take part. Yeah. You're going to have I'm one okay as well? I'm okay for the moment, thank okay. you. Okay, well I will, you know, there's my custard cream and my um, glass of water. There we go. Yeah. Anyway, um, we should get on with the business. We should get on with the business. I uh, thought the biscuits were the business. <laughs> <laughs> They often are, but they're kind of a, an important prelude to the business. So um, before I jump, start chomping, start, start with my biscuits. Um, as, as normal, we've had lots of different uh, re um, emails that have come in from various parts of the world, as usual. And um, though we picked out a few, which is very good, some very good questions. And the first one was one from um, uh, Jan Impey. Uh, sent last, just at the back of the end of last year. And it's a question about, she says she asked some questions about sin. And uh, we know Mike, the right Mike knows all about <laughs> sin. <laughs> he was very well experienced in this area. Um, and the, I suppose the initial, the initial question is, are all sins of equal value? So, for example, if I take home stationery from the office cupboard without permission, is this as bad as murder in the eyes of God? So I guess the question is about the grading of sin. Is there, is there a kind of hierarchy of sins? Is there, but actually is sin, sin? And therefore, there's no real distinction between those things. There's one or two follow-ups here, but I'll, I'll reveal those a little bit later on. Mm. Um, I, I think the first Mike, point is, is, is mildly frivolous, but actually worth making. Yeah. But then I like frivolity generally. <laughs> um, mm. And that is that sin is of no value. I know that's mm -hmm. not quite what the question means. It means mm. are they of the same seriousness. But, mm. but mm. there is a mm. theological tradition that talks about the Felix Corp the happy sin yep. of, of Adam that brought about so great a redemption and that it's all a good thing in the end. And I think I want to challenge that and say, no, sin is always negative. It is always destructive. Uh, yes. There is no such thing as a happy sin. There's no such thing as a happy sin. It's yep. never fertile. Yep. Um, God can bring good out of sin like he can bring out good out of suffering, but it's God we have to thank for that, not the suffering or the sin. Mm. 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 Um, so I, I, it's a silly point, but I think it's just... Yep worth making at the beginning. Yeah, okay. Yep. I suppose the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does suggest that the big sins come from the same root as the little sins. 
um, uh, uh, the, 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 those sort of scary remarks about you may not actually commit adultery, but if you um, yeah. um, if you look, look at, at a woman in the wrong, you, yeah, you, yeah. Um, and that that is a, a really terrifying thought, isn't it? And I, and I suppose that's part part of the reason why um, the medieval church did evolve the idea that there are degrees of seriousness of yeah. sin, so that we don't get obsessed with sin, because um, yeah. that's not the point, isn't it? To sort mm. of sit there and think obsessively. Um, grading our sins and, mm. and wondering if God can forgive us, mm. that that takes away the whole um, trust and assurance in mm. the in the mm. work of God mm. in Christ. Yeah, and I suppose a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is um, the essence of sin. I suppose when you take someone like St. Augustine, the essence of sin is a kind of turning away from God. And um, that's what it is, a turning away from God towards the darkness towards anything that is other than God which is at the end of the day nothing and therefore in one sense I think that's why Jesus seems to say that the the essence of sin is the same whatever sin it is mm. it, it comes from that in that kind of perverse instinct we have to turn away from God towards something that is um, that is not God and uh, and so to that extent in terms of our relationship with God, sin is sin, and in one sense, it doesn't matter which one it is. But it seems to be there's, there's all symptoms of the same disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and some are bigger than others. But so the, the other side to sin, I think, is is not just what it does to our relationship with God; it's also what it does to our relationship with each other. And sin is a breaking of our harmony with God. It's also a breaking of our harmony with with other people. Mm -hmm. And there, you can see things are different. Murder is a much more significant sin than stealing from a stationary cupboard because it has a much bigger impact upon people's upon lives. People's lives. Yes. Um, stealing from a stationary cupboard is deceptive. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. It's taking what is not yours, but it doesn't have the kind of impact that a murder or a theft or a, or a kind of really heinous lie has. Mm. And so I think you've got to think of the kind of dimensions of, uh, of sin. It's not just about our relationship with God. It's also about our relationship with, with each other. And therefore, if you make that distinction, you can see that on one sense, yes, they're symptoms of the same disease, but on the other, other hand, they do have a greater impact. And therefore, it's not quite true to say that they're all exactly the same and don't make, there's no difference between them. But you certainly can, and I have, um, met people who are utterly obsessive about wither. Um, yeah. about how serious their sins are, to the point where they actually can't believe that they can be forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and so I think to, to be able to, to point out to people that, that although all sins come from that turning away from God, turning in on oneself, mm. believing mm. oneself to be the centre of the universe, and um, nonetheless, the, what we're actually, the reason we're interested in sin is because God has dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and that goes on to the next question actually that Jan asks in this email, do we have to know all our sins for them to be all, all to be forgiven? If I'm sinning without realizing, I can't repent. So will I be forgiven? And it reminds you of a lot of the sort of medieval writing yeah. about sin, where people would go to confession, anxiously trying to remember all, all your sins, because if you don't confess them, they're not, they're forgiven. not forgiven. Mm. And, um, and there's a story of, of Luther going to his confessor, Johannes von Staupitz, trying to remember all his his sins and becoming so obsessed by the whole thing that Staupitz gets fed up in the end and says to him, well, 
yeah, next time bring some proper sins because <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it seems that he was finding some tiny little sin and he would always go away fearing that if he'd forgotten one that sin remained unforgiven and therefore he was he was damned, you know. So there's that sort of scrupulousness about yeah. about sin. So I guess that's the question: Do we have to confess all our sins to know they're they're forgiven? I, mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things there. One one is that um, the cross dealt with a lot, mm. the whole lot, past, present, and future. Mm. And sometimes mm. we think, oh, the future ones aren't forgiven, and mm. yeah. that's why you have to die. You know, having just been. Uh, having just repented or whatever. Yeah, no, maybe. they've all been taken away yeah. at the cross. Um, and therefore the confession is simply the kind of clearing of the channels. It's not about whether I get forgiven or not. Yeah. I've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's really important to remember because it, mm. otherwise you do get into this anxious state of mind mm. about yeah. well, have I been, can I be? Mm. No, it's, it, it's, it's, it's happened. Mm. Yeah. It's now just a matter about clearing the decks and clearing sure. the relationship, unblocking the channels. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, we tend to do kind of generic prayers as well for mm. not just the ones we can remember, but all the things that we've done that mm. have, have denied or hurt God or others. Yeah. And I kind of think that works really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't possibly confess all your sins because you probably don't know yeah. half of them. It, the impact of something that we do without even realising it. Mm. Yes. Mm. It's so much second nature to yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I suppose, I mean, going back to the point about sin being kind of turning away from, from God or turning in upon our, ourself, it's the relational quality of this, mm. this question, that, that sin is the breaking of relationship with God. That's the essence of it. And so, actually, to get bound up in the kind of minutiae of the tiny ways in which what that, that happens yes, yeah. is to slightly miss the point. Mm -hmm. Because again, you, you could confess all your sins, but still somehow, you know, not be developing and nurturing and encouraging and living in that that fellowship with God mm -hmm. that is our is our great privilege and, and calling. And um, so there is a there is a kind of over scrupulosity about sin that you can get into if you're not careful and um and so therefore there you know you, i think we can have a confidence that you know you, you confess what you know you confess what is on your heart what is gnawing away at you that you're anxious about and that you know about and um and if it helps maybe a prayer to simply say look please god forgive all the sins i don't even know about mm. and we can trust that he hears that prayer and, and mm. those sins are forgiven and if there's anything that particular that we need to be brought to our own attention yeah. because we're unaware of it and it's actually rather serious and continuing. Yeah. Pray that the Spirit will do that. Mm. That's Absolutely. kind of sure. what the Spirit does. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you, Jan, for your very helpful question about, um, about that. We've got to another one, which is um, from uh, David Verman. Um, not quite sure where David comes from, but anyway, he sends an um, email to us, which is this, which I think is picking up on a, a discussion we had on a previous um, God pod, which is we we'll probably have discussed everything one way or another. You'd have thought so after 120 <laughs> odd God pods. We, we could publish a kind of systematic theology. Unsystematic theology. The worry is, you know, we're going over the same things over and over again, yeah. saying the same things as we did several years well, ago. As long as we are saying the same things, I'm, what I'm afraid of is that we're changing our minds. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's called a bad thing. Yes. It is. Maturing. Exactly. Maturing, exactly. 
So anyway, this one says, while I agree with Graham, of course, people agree with Graham, <laughs> that it takes a form of faith to prove that God does not exist and that it's an unprovable assumption. Could you not then say the same about Thor, Odin and the Tooth Fairy? How can we prove that they do not exist? Uh, which I guess is a, an argument that um, Richard Dawkins and many of the new atheists often use um, uh, about you know, why do you believe in God when you don't believe in these other sort of gods at the same time. So I guess that's the question. Um, I th yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why it takes faith not to believe in God is uh, because so much remains unexplained and ungrounded that is central to human experience and mm. value. Mm. So for instance, morality uh, is really difficult to ground without mm. God because morality is about every single human being having value. Mm. Uh, that's the kind of basic currency of, mm. of ethics. Uh, but value is a personal commodity. It's something only a person can do for you. Mm. Uh, you can't be valued by gravity or electricity or something like that. Mm. Um, and, and therefore, a mm. personal loving God who, who values us mm. enough to die for us grounds that mm. value in a way that an atheist position struggles to mm. to ground it, I think. So if now, you don't have some sort of personal ground of reality, therefore value doesn't really work. Exactly. exactly. Give value. Now, mm. Odin mm. and Thor mm. and the Tooth Fairy mm. don't value us very much. Yep. So it is actually only yep. that personal loving God of mm. the, the monotheistic faith in general and Christian faith in particular yep. that, that does that. Uh, that's why mm. I think you can use this argument yeah. of, of the Christian God okay. in a way that you can't have thought, yeah. thought Odin or some of the sure. pagan gods, because yeah. they just don't value us very much. Yeah. As flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, yeah. they kill us for their sport. Mm. Um, whereas with the Christian God, it's the other way around. Yeah. He, he dies for us yeah. rather than yeah. killing us. Mm. Yeah. I was very, very intriguing that, that um, that God seems to have given us enough historical um, anchoring points yeah. uh, to make us think without them being so overwhelming that you have no choice but to believe. Mm. I always find it intriguing that, I mean, and there doesn't seem to be very much doubt that there was a person called Jesus Christ mm. who lived and was crucified. You're not going to tell me that there isn't a tooth fairy, Jane, are you? I uh, <laughs> don't show any don't of this to your, dreams. to your children, but <laughs> I have been the tooth fairy myself. The price goes up as time goes on, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, it was sort of 5p, and now it's about some it's been a pound. degree you know, of inflation. Exactly, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think, again, with, with some of the stories of the, the, the great myths of the gods, there isn't that historical anchorage. There is a, a body of, of um, narrative that everybody sort of knows is mm. not historical. Um, and that connection into history um, mm. that the incarnation gives us mm. um, has just that sort of sense that, okay, now you look at this and make up your, your own mind. It mm. isn't forced mm. upon us mm. still. Mm. I, I, I still find it extraordinary, the idea that God kind of come to live with us and we still have the choice about whether we believe in God or not. Mm. But again, that makes sense if God is the kind of God mm. that we're actually talking, talking about. about. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the, the difficulty I think I have with this question, and it actually comes from a, is a book I read a little while ago by David Bentley Hart called The Experience of God, which is a quite a complex book, but actually a very good one. 
And he, he kind of makes the point, that he addresses this very question of, you know, the, the atheist argument that, well, you know, you don't believe in your God, but then I also don't believe in all the thousands of mm. pagan gods either. Um, and why, why do you believe in this one rather than the other ones? Um, and he actually makes the point that actually the pagan gods are different from the God that we're talking about. Yes. The pagan gods are nature gods. They are, they're part of nature. Um, and therefore, you know, Thor, Odin, the Teeth Fairy, and so on are kind of part of the world, as it were. Well, actually, when the Christian faith talks about God, we're not talking about a God among all the other gods. We're talking about a God who is outside nature, who is the ground of all, mm. all that exists, and that nothing else would exist if it wasn't for this God. So it's a different order of being altogether. So we're not comparing, you know, what, what, what we, this is a kind of misunderstanding, I think, that a lot of the atheists have, that when we talk about God, we're talking about our God that is a bit like all the other pagan gods or the Greek gods mm -hmm. or whatever. But, you know, the early Christians were very insistent that, you know, this is not a God like the other pagan gods, and there were many around in the first century. The Old Testament is very clear that Israel, Israel's God is not like the other gods of the nations. Mm -hmm. They were very aware of the other gods of the nations in the first century. They were very aware of the pagan gods. But they were very insistent, saying, this is not just another god mm. tacked onto the end of the list. This is the god who underlies all, um, all the other gods. And, you know, there was a sense in which, even within Platonism at the time, that, you know, underneath uh, or above all the, the pagan gods, there was this one divine principle. And I think, see, that's the, that's the key distinction here, that we are talking about something entirely different mm -hmm. from the pagan gods or the Demiurge, which was this sort of Gnostic god that was, that was thought of. Um, we're talking about some, a different category of being altogether, the one who is, you know, without whom nothing exists, that in a sense is the one from whom nature comes, not who's part of nature. And so actually somehow comparing the two doesn't really work. And also, um, therefore, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't, we would be disproving the existence of this god if you could prove his existence. Because yeah. there would be a necessary yeah. connection then between this God and nature. Yeah, because you can only prove things in nature. Yeah, you can only prove things that are inside. Exactly, inside um, the system. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah exactly. You yeah. almost by definition can't prove yeah. what's outside the system, the yeah. one being from whom everything else comes. And a lot of the <coughs> particularly early chapters of Genesis are explicitly polemic against yeah. pagan yeah. creation accounts. Exactly. Yep. Um, and saying no, it's done. It's not an accidental yeah. byproduct yeah. of battle between the gods and the yeah. chaos monsters. Yeah. It's an intended, willed, desired yeah. um, process of, of and, creation. And why, for the early Christians, idolatry—in other words, worshiping the pagan gods—was the greatest sin of them all. Yes, mm. because actually, it was to mistake the true God with one of these other gods, and they didn't want to make that. that identification and, and you can see why when you read about some of these gods yeah. I mean yeah. Wayland yeah. Um, the, the great smithy yeah. of, of the gods mm. did some fairly repulsive things uh, and you we want to ask you to elaborate I, on I, this I, I won't elaborate um, mm. you know, certainly not before the watershed um, <laughs> but compare that with the person of Jesus who rather than killing others allows yeah. them yeah. to kill him yeah. Yeah. for us uh, it's a very different kind of sure. yeah. being yeah. we're talking exactly. about. Yeah. And again, it's a point that David Bentley Hart makes in um, Atheist Delusions, isn't it? That um, wonderfully emollient book. Um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, he's not, um, didn't hold back, does he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is that people sort of assume that we'll all get to this, the same point of, of, 
of being assuming the value of human beings and so on from any religious mm. or non-religious mm. starting point. Mm. And the point he makes, that isn't so. You have to have, as, as Mike was saying, uh, uh, mm. certain kinds of anchorings in what kind of a god this is or isn't mm. before you get yep. to yep. Um, okay. human rights, equality of men and women, all of that kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Which is why the early church had a battle against yeah. the exposure of infants and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because various things follow from the sort yeah. of God that you believe in. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you um, to David for that really helpful question because it does. It was quite good when you yeah. get a follow-up question after early discussions because that helps to clarify the points. And I don't know about you, but I always find just in talking something out it helps you to clarify your own thinking about it, and the conversation really helps that too. It also suggests that people are listening. Okay. Well, one which always two, helps. Exactly. Which is always helpful. Yep. Sometimes, of course, it gets more muddled the more we talk, but that's also quite interesting sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Probably for others to judge. Isn't it, <laughs> it is. I know. Anyway, one last question for this um, Godpod here, which is, a, again, a really interesting one from Becky, Becky Symes, from Edinburgh in Scotland. Was that an attempted accent? Almost, <laughs> almost. I sort of held back from the, you know, well the full version. I think wise, probably. <laughs> exactly. So um, uh, Becky says she keeps working her way through all the podcasts we've made. Bless you, Becky. Just finished listening to number 70. Oh, well done. Yeah. I feel that my understanding of God has been deepened by your show. There you know. So anyway, this is a question that has occurred to her, which is this one. Um, I hear God speak to me in different ways, and one of them is through films. Uh, not just through the obvious ones, like The Miracle Maker or The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but great films like The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and so on. Um, uh, films in which, in the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, the great myth is replicated. But I wonder, is there a theological basis for God speaking to, choosing to speak through kind of non, non-religious films, such as The Lion King, Frozen, or Wonder Woman? There you go. I look forward to listening to more thought-provoking and often funny God pods. So, there's the question. Is there a theological basis for God speaking through um, non-religious, non-Christian, apparently secular cultural forms and so on? And again, they can come to the right people uh, who have their finger on the pulse of modern popular culture. <laughs> You've all seen Wonder Woman. Maybe not. <laughs> Seen Frozen? Have you seen Frozen? Do you know I haven't seen, You've never any seen Frozen. Of those. No, I've not. I haven't seen Frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, it, you have it, to see it depends Frozen. whether you have children or not. You see. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, but I was a grown up, but we've still still seen it. Yes. It's a bit yeah. worrying, Graham. It is a bit worrying. I was probably I watching War and Peace at the time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, there are obviously kind of biblical examples of uh, pagan literature being mm. used. In, in theological discussion. Yep. Um, St. Paul quotes a pagan yep. poet saying, mm. in him we live and move and have our being. That's a quotation from uh, one of the contemporary pagan poets. Um, but more importantly, I think, we go back to people being made in the image of God. Mm. Uh, if that is true, if every human being is made in the image of God, however tarnished, you would expect to learn something about mm. God from them. Mm. and particularly from their creativity, because mm. if they're made in the image mm. of God who is the creator, then they're going to be creative. Mm. Mm. And that mm. itself is going to reflect something of mm. the, the mm. creativity and nature of God. Uh, and, and that's why I expect to learn from anybody I read, yeah. any, any philosopher, any mm. thinker, any poet I read, any composer I listen to. Um, there's going to be something there. Mm. I can't take it all 
mm. as is because we're all also fallen and mm. so you have to be critical about what you read and how, mm. what you uh, mm. learn but but my general expectation my initial presumption is I am going to learn something mm. from this person. Which actually is a very positive way to in, in, encounter other people, isn't it? Yes. Rather than a sort of suspicious, oh, they're not a Christian, I can't mm. learn from this person. That sense of, yes, <coughs> what can I learn about God from this person? And that sometimes may be harder to see than others. Uh, but there is something, um, not present company. No, they're probably, here, they're course, probably yeah. saying that <laughs> as they watch. Exactly. But that, that, that idea that I mean, it reminds me of something C.S. Lewis says in one of his books, isn't it? You, know, you have never met an ordinary person. Yep. Mm. There are no such thing as ordinary people. Yep. Mm. There are only these extraordinary beings who are created in the image of God uh, and in which and through whom we can learn something of, yes. of God. And that sense that you know, every person you meet is someone that in a sense comes to you as, as someone made, loved, made in the image of God and therefore from whom one can gain and learn something. Yes. Because I suspect yeah. that God doesn't know that he's a religious object. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect yeah. that God thinks he's God mm. of the universe mm. and that therefore um, everything is his playground, you might say. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. And obviously for us, because we're quite thick, um, it helps us um, to have this one guiding story, the mm. story of God in in Jesus Christ to help us see the shape of how God acts, mm. to help us sort of um, pattern our yes. responses mm. to and, the world. And then recognise him elsewhere exactly. in other stories exactly. in other yeah. yeah. conditions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can only see him elsewhere once you've seen the pattern in the story of Christ. It, shows, it helps you to, to recognise the sort of tone of voice of God when you hear it in other mm. places. I suppose um, it can also happen the other way around, can't it? That, um, I mean, it's one, it's one of the things Augustine and C.S. Lewis both talk about is you, they spent a lot of their time seeing little echoes mm. of things that they knew yeah. they wanted. Mm. And it wasn't until they met God in Christ, they thought, oh, ah, yeah. that makes sure. sense yeah. then. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. the interpretive center mm. of it. I suppose the other theological idea that may make some sense of this is, is the one that you get in the early chapters of John, where he talks about the word, the logos, that becomes flesh in, mm. in Christ. And of course, that's taken up by later um, theologians, be like Justin Martyr in the second century, Clement of Alexandria, Origen and others, you know, who, who developed this, this logos Christology, this idea that the logos, which is this stoic concept of this divine reason that has always been there in the world right from the very <coughs> beginning, that all the philosophers always looked for, that every human being has always sort of sought out mm. that kind of divine principle of, of reason, of sense, of meaning. Um, of beauty. Of, yes. Exactly, yeah. all of that actually became incarnate in a particular person at a particular time um, in Jesus Christ. And which is actually a, quite a brilliant idea when you think mm. about it in the, in the way that, I mean, John's Gospel just mentions it very briefly, Justin develops it a bit more, and then Origin and others take it much, much further. And it's not without its problems, but, um, I guess the, the idea is that, that, that all, all of divine wisdom that can be found in the whole of creation is sort of concentrated in this, mm. this one person. Um, but that is to say that if that's true, if the, the logos, this divine um, sense, meaning, reason permeates through all, um, all creation, and, and, and in some ways, I guess what Justin says, all the philosophers have some of it, mm. but it's mixed up with error at the same time. 
um, but it's concentrated in Christ. It enables you to, to think of, you know, yes, Christ is the key, the clue to the whole story, but that doesn't mean you can't find elements of truth in other, yeah. yes. in other thought forms, other faiths perhaps. Um, Christ remains the clue to the entire story, the picture, but if the Logos is, is present in all creation, we're not, we shouldn't be surprised if we find elements of truth in Frozen and Wonder Woman and, yeah. and, and not just other, other faiths, but, but atheism. Atheism is yeah. in some ways a protest against, I would say, false views of God in, yeah. in many cases. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it might help us to recognize some yeah. of those falsities mm. yeah. um, and, and have a similarly repugnant view of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's um, Sorry. Jonathan Sachs, <coughs> chief rabbi, asked, rather mischievously asked the question, why did God create atheists? <laughs> and uh, he gives the answer, well, actually, it's to kind of help us recognize false views of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, suppose, <laughs> I suppose the other thing that the first chapter of John says is, is that if, if, if you think of Jesus as the light, then there are things that are repelled by it. Hmm. So I, I suppose having this central guiding story also enables us to see um, narratives, myths, ways of approaching the world that are that are um, against, that are mm. a, a contrary to mm. that reality. Mm. So uh, um, I think the positive thing to say about culture is really important, but I think it's it needs yeah. to be yeah. balanced yeah. by we do have the the ability to 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 weigh up, to judge yeah. to some extent. What which is, is your point about the kind of critical at attitude yeah, towards exactly. the culture, yes. which is not yeah. just naive and everything is all yeah hunky-dory and true and everything else, but that critical judgment that is able to discern what we see of divine wisdom in yes. these cultural artifacts and what actually is is part of our sort of fractured brokenness yeah. uh, at the same time. Which uh, uh, if we have a, the, the whole statement of our academic values and, mm. and virtues, and, and the first is, is openness, yeah. because we're made in the image of God, you expect to find yeah. something sure. uh, to learn from it. The second is to be critical because we're yeah. fallen and yeah. therefore you can't just take, read everything off yeah. from what people say and take it on trust. And then uh, one of the others is, is fearlessness. Mm. Yeah. Um, we've got everything to engage from that process, nothing to fear, yeah. we're not going to find something sure. that disproves the whole thing. And, no. yeah. um, and one of the things I, I just came across recently is, um, 200th anniversary of William Carey, the great uh, mm. Baptist missionary, mm. who of course was in India for most of his uh, ministry, and um, he translated the Bible into some of the Indian languages. But what I didn't realize is he also translated the Ramayana into English. Mm. Uh, this is somebody who took the culture mm. of the people that he went to very seriously mm. indeed, mm. wanted mm. people to be able to be enriched by that and mm. to benefit mm. from that. Mm. And, uh, he expected to find something worthwhile and, and beautiful within yeah. the culture that he mm. was uh, evangelizing. Mm. Mm. And it just reminded me of the end of Revelation where the kings of the earth bring their splendor into the new mm. kingdom and the new creation. Mm. Um, there's something good mm. to be celebrated and enjoyed there as well as things that need to be completed and mm. corrected. Yeah, even in Wonder Woman. Uh, I, I leave you, you're the expert on Wonder Woman, uh, Certainly in Frozen, that, um, yeah. <coughs> that lovely discovery of the, the value of loyalty and, and yeah. love between the mm. two sisters. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 it, it's very special that the, the, the saving love mm. in that film is not romance, it's not. Mm. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. It, it's and in a sense, Harry Potter too, which uh, yeah. effectively is a story about how sacrifice yeah. redeems everything. Mm. 
And um, so you can see those echoes of, I, mean, I think um, Becky used the phrase of the great myth, yeah. mm -hmm. um, which I think is a C.S. Lewis phrase, isn't it, about this, this, this great story that you can see replicated in so many um, films, stories, novels, and so on, mm -hmm. um, which is about the overcoming of evil, the power of sacrifice, um, the power of love, and, and you can see echoes of that in so many mm -hmm. stories. But the kind of central place we see it is in is in the person of Christ, which is the revelation of God. That's where it's concentrated, as you yeah. said earlier. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So there we are. Um, we haven't made much impact on the biscuits, I'm afraid. And no. um, we, uh, but it's been fascinating questions. They're very, really good questions. And um, we've had very comfortable seats to sit on. We have. Mine's a bit squeaky, I'm afraid. I, I'm hoping that it won't <laughs> have affected the sound quality. Exactly. I want people to know it's the sofa anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll believe you. <laughs> anyway, um, so if you're watching this, um, it's goodbye from us and um, we'll look forward to whether we'll see you or, or you'll hear us or something on the next God Pod. I don't think we'll see them, Graham. Uh, yeah, that's true. Whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs>